You know, growing up in the Middle East, we are taught that your reputation is your most treasured possession. In fact, in days gone by, reputation was considered to be far more important than wealth or money or prestige or power. In fact, reputation was more important than life itself because if your reputation has been sullied, they might as well not be alive. And I thought about this, and I realized, of course, that like everything else, if you get obsessed with reputation, it can lead to hypocrisy. If we get obsessed with reputation, it can lead to unhealthy, concerned only with the externals. If we are obsessed with reputation alone, then it can lead to dual personality, the public person and the private person. And we see that repeatedly in the pages of the gospel of how the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked the Pharisees again and again and again because of their obsession only with the outward reputation, only with the external appearances, only with style rather than substance. And we're seeing a lot of that in our culture today. And Jesus rebuked that obsession for good reason. For when one's reputation becomes an obsession, that person is going to do everything possible to hide the real person. He's going to do everything possible to act an outward role. He'll do everything possible to pretend to be what he or she is not. Someone said... If you spend too much time on polishing your reputation, your character will become tarnished. In fact, some years ago, a story I read many years ago about the Harvard economist by the name of John Kenneth Galbraith, and he worked for the Kennedy administration. And one day, the New York Times printed a profile of Dr. Galbraith, and it happened to be that very morning that he was having breakfast with John Kennedy. And Kennedy asked him, he said, what do you think of the article? And Galbraith said, well, he said, it's fine. He said, but I just don't understand why they keep on calling me arrogant. Upon which Kennedy said, I don't see why not. Everybody else does. (laughs) (laughs) You see, often we don't even know our own reputation and, and how we are known. But it doesn't matter really, ultimately. I want you to hear me right or I'm going to tell you. It doesn't really matter because the only reputation that you need to be concerned about is your reputation with God. The only reputation that is worth caring for is what God thinks of you. The only reputation that really matters is your reputation in heaven. What they're saying about you. And when your reputation is right with God, you don't have to worry about people because God is going to give you favor with people. And today's message to the church in Sardis is a message of a total rebuke. And here the Lord resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, the ascended Lord Jesus Christ, the glorified Lord Jesus Christ, looks down upon this group of believers in that town. And he sees them 
as people who have nothing that he can praise them for. This is the first time, those of you who have been listening, the last four churches that we looked at, and in the next two, that you see at least there was something praiseworthy that Jesus said about this group or that group. This group, he had nothing to praise them for. And that expresses his deepest anguish as the redeemer of the church, as the savior of the church. And so he expresses it in this message that he sent to the believers in the town of Sardis. If you haven't already turned in your book of Revelation, in your Bible, chapter 3, I want you to turn chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. To the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains, and that's about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Now obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I'll come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out their name from the book of life, but I will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, it is my plea that you will give us inward ears, spiritual ears, that you will give us spiritual eyes, that we may hear and see what you are trying to say to us at this very moment, at this very time. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected, ascended, glorified Christ, send this message to the group of believers in Sardis. 700 years before, Sardis was one of the greatest city in that whole region, in that whole area. In fact, the wealth of Sardis was legendary. But for two centuries, it vanished from history under the Persian occupation. But after two centuries, Sardis was resurrected again by Alexander the Great. He rebuilt it and turned it into a Greek city. But history repeated itself again and again. After the death of Alexander the Great, Sardis was defeated once more until it was taken over by the Romans and turned into a Roman city. Why am I telling you this? I'm interested in teaching you history now. There's something very spiritually important about this. Because in every one of those messages that we have been seeing, that Jesus speaking to his people, he takes a cultural characteristic of that city or of these people, and he warns the believers, his believers, his children, against adopting the outside culture into the church. What Jesus is saying that the church ought to change culture, not to be influenced by culture. 
That is the very depth and the cry of the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ in all these seven messages. And here is no exception. So what is Sardis? You see, the people in Sardis had the reputation of being lazy. The people in Sardis were known for relying on their reputation, for relying on their wealth. The people of Sardis became known for loving, soft living, easy living, comfortable living. And they would not even defend their own nation when it was invaded by foreign invaders. And that attitude has seeped into the church. That the believers become like the people of the world and the people around them of the city. They too were preferring easy living, comfortable living, soft living over against faithfulness to the living God that they claimed to know Him. And so the resurrected Christ saw this attitude and He saw this going on in the heart of His own people and therefore He cries out to them. He yells out to them. He becomes so deeply concerned. Please, please wake up before it is too late. He sends this message to the church, to the believers, to the Christians in Sardis. There are three things here that I want to share with you that come very clearly, that are communicated very clearly by the Lord Jesus Christ. Three things. First, you see Christ's admonition of their false reputation. Secondly, you see Christ's antidote for the faith restoration. And thirdly, you see Christ's acknowledgement of them in the day of final revelation. So it is Christ's admonition, Christ's antidote, Christ's acknowledgement. What is Christ's admonition to that church? What is really deeply hurting the very heart of the Lord of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ? I nearly called this message, Dead Christians Walking. (laughs) Why? Because of the condition of the Christians in that church. In fact, those words really describe the condition of this particular church. But if you look at verse 1, Jesus first introduces himself. And he introduces himself as the one who has the seven spirits. And of course, he is over the seven stars. What does that mean? It means the number seven is a perfect number. It's the number of completion. In fact, it's the number of perfect completion. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit of God. He is the spirit of wisdom. He is the spirit of holiness. He is the spirit of conviction. He is completely perfect in every way. And His Spirit, the Holy Spirit is able to penetrate deep in the heart of everyone who claims to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Not only that, he is in control of every one of the churches represented by the seven stars. So once he introduced himself, he goes on to expose their spiritual bankruptcy. You see, God sees through what man cannot see. Listen to what Jesus said. You have the reputation of being alive, but I see all things, and I, my verdict is that you are dead. You see, those believers have acquired reputation of involvement in the city. They have acquired the reputation of being involved in society. 
probably people have traveled from all over to come in and to study their techniques. People probably have traveled from all over to come and study their program. People probably have traveled from everywhere to study their organizational structure. They probably came from everywhere to study their use of technology. People were coming from everywhere to see how they've been able to keep unbelievers in the church without being challenged, without repenting. How they want the unbelievers to come and to never be asked to repent and turn to the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Unbelievers are going to church, but there they never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was the condition of the church. Jesus said it was a spiritual graveyard. It's a spiritual graveyard. Beloved, I want you to listen to me. Listen to me carefully. Outward appearances can be very deceptive. Outward appearances can be very soothing, but it's deceptive. And one of the things that I've learned through the years, one of the things that I've learned, that when the world speaks well of you, watch out. When the world begins to praise you, watch out. When the world begins to try to identify with you, watch out. Like the old timer who said, he said, when the world becomes so churchy, watch out because the church had become so worldly. Your reputation with God, not with the world, that really matters. Your reputation in heaven, not necessarily on earth, that really matters. And the world looks on the outside, but God sees the inside. God looks through to the heart. His perfect Holy Spirit, the seven spirits, He sees through. Listen, you know and I know. I don't have to tell you this. All you need to do is be alive to realize that there are so many spiritual zombies in our culture. There are so many spiritual zombies that appear on the outside to be alive. But in reality, the all-seeing God is saying, you can't fool me. I can see straight through you. I know what you're doing in secret. I know what you think in private. I know what you're plotting and planning inwardly. I know where you go and whom you see. I know everything. And I know that you have the reputation of being a spiritual giant when in reality you're spiritually dead. Just this week, a friend called me, I haven't heard from him in a long time, who's been involved in another church, in another area actually, who's been involved with young adults. And he was lamenting and crying literally and saying how so many of them are are partying on Saturday night until they are drunk and then they talk to each other as they were leaving, which service are you going to go to tomorrow? We don't pretend anymore. We don't even pretend anymore. We have reached such a low ebb that only the power of God, the Holy Spirit, will be able to get us out of it. In fact, that is the one thing that Jesus said to the Pharisees over and over and over again. And they did not like them. It drove them crazy. Because Jesus exposed the real Pharisees, not what they projected themselves to be. And they did not like it any more than our generation likes it. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how the church is so into the world. And I read the story recently about the two brothers. They were wicked. They were evil. They were corrupt. 
They were known for their corruption and evil and godlessness. One of them died. So the other brother went to the parish priest and he said, Father, I know you know us well. (laughs) I will give you a ton of money if you get up at the funeral and say that my brother was a saint. Now that put the priest in a conundrum. He knew that he could do with the money. The church could do with the money, but he wanted to be truthful. He didn't want to lie. So he finally got up at the funeral and he said, this man lying here, he was wicked. He was evil. He was godless. But in comparison to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) I hope he got the money. (laughs) But you see, Christ's admonition regarding their false reputation. Secondly, Christ's antidote for the faith restoration. You see, Jesus wants you to be restored. Jesus is not out to punish you. He wants to restore you. Whenever you run away from the Lord, He has only one desire for you to turn back to Him, for you to repent, for you to go back to where you have failed and repent and turn to the Lord. That's His desire. That's the cry of His heart. And we see it in every one of the seven churches. And so what is the antidote? Two words. I wish you can hear them in the original language. It's like someone crying out saying, wake up. Literally, if somebody was speaking it, instead of being written, it would be a yelled out, wake up. And that is the cry of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the antidote for their misery, for their problem. Probably the best word picture that I can describe for you, that church, would be like a fire that's about to die down. And... Just at the end there, at the bottom, there's some smoldering coals that still have a spark left in them. That's probably a picture of those Christians in the city of Sardis. And that is why Jesus is saying to them, to the small remnant, He's saying to them that you still have a spiritual spark in you left. He's saying to them, wake up and ignite the rest of you. He's saying, wake up. And see with your spiritual eyes the dismal condition in which the church is in. Wake up and light up the flame of the dying ember. Wake up and go back to the truth of the gospel. Wake up and get on your knees on behalf of those who are being become dead wood. Wake up and repent and weep and sorrow over the condition of the church. That's what Jesus is saying. To his church today. I've been finding myself reading more and more about what God has done as a result of people crying out to the Lord for the Holy Spirit to sweep across the land. In 1904, the Holy Spirit began in Wales, and then from there it began to flow into the United Kingdom. And and here in the United States, shops would close in the middle of the day so that people can go to prayer meetings. In Atlanta, Georgia, on November 2nd, 1904, 1,000 businessmen in the city of Atlanta gathered together to weep before the Lord and cry over the lost and cry over the nation. And by December of 1904, newspapers 
were publishing the names of the new believers. And in two months, they published 70,000 names. Prayer meeting were jammed to the walls. All as a result of a faithful believers who went to the Lord and cried to the Lord that the Lord may do his work and his power of his Holy Spirit sweep again. As a result of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, broken marriages were restored. People were healed. Restitution became commonplace. In the coal mines of Wales, they couldn't get the coal out because the ponies were so used to listening to the curses of the miners. And when their language got cleaned up and they're trying to get the ponies to move the coals, they couldn't get them moving. <laughs> Many policemen got out of business. Courts did not have anybody turning up for, for, because nobody was taken to court. Oh, Lord God, may he remember that again. Churches were open 24 hours a day. Men and women, boys and girls would come at different times of the day and literally they would weep over their friends and over their family members who don't know Jesus. And I want to tell you something. If there is a desperate condition in the church of Jesus Christ today, it is today. Preachers are refusing to preach the gospel out of fear. They're watering down the word of God. People are saying, well, we've got to love everybody. We can't really call sin, sin. Let me tell you something. We love all sinners. We are sinners saved by grace. But we call sin, sin in our lives as well as in the lives of everybody else. Because our desire is to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I know from history, I know from history, that when the Spirit of God begin to move among us, We would not have to beg men to sign up for prayer breakfast. We would not have to beg people to come to prayer meetings. We would not have to beg men and women to give up their addictions and their immorality. We would not have to beg people to tithe and to give generously to the work of God. We would not have to do any of this because the Spirit of God is going to compel them to do it. Oh, Lord, may we see a fire again. Now, beloved, I want to tell you, Jesus is saying to us today, wake up, wake up, wake up and recognize the desperate spiritual condition that we are in. That the desperate spiritual condition that we're finding ourselves in. I'm convinced that a generation from now, unless God moves in some supernatural way, they're going to be looking at us and they're saying, why didn't you do something about it? Christ's spiritual antidote was, wake up, remember, repent, receive the power of the Holy Spirit afresh. Don't try to do it on your own steam. Because you failed and you will fail again. But when the Holy Spirit of God comes upon you, when you seek the Holy Spirit to fill you, when you seek the Holy Spirit to fill you to overflowing, He's going to do great and mighty things through you. That's how is the antidote described to the people of Sardis. Christ's admonition, Christ's antidote. Thirdly, Christ's acknowledgement of them in the day of final revelation. What is Jesus saying? Look at the last couple of verses. He is saying that the faithful believer, he's going to give a twofold promise. 
For those who refuse and keep on refusing, and they keep testing the patience of God, he said, I'm going to come on you. That's not the second coming, but somehow he's going to come in a way and in a time you're not anticipating, and you're going to see the judgment of God. I pray nobody, nobody who's listening to me today would be in that condition. But for the faithful believers, he said, here's a double promise. Here's a twofold promise. First, he said, he'll be clothed in white. You see, white robes in the Bible are symbols of festivities. So while those who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ will be in torment and in pain, those faithful believers are going to be dressed in white, celebrating with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus tells us about the parable of the wedding feast. He said, those who come to the wedding feast, they'll be handed a special white robe. You cannot go into the marriage feast of the Lamb in heaven without that white robe. The groom will hand it to you. But also white robes symbolize victory. In the Roman culture, after major military victory, people wore white. And the whole city was called White City. But white robes also are a symbol of purity and a symbol of righteousness. For those who have kept themselves from being soiled with the dirt of this world and the sin of this world and the passions of this world, they will receive their white robes of righteousness and purity and holiness from the hand of Jesus. But white robes also stand for the resurrection. You see, those white robes are not ours. You can't earn them. You can't pay for them. You can't work for them. They will be given to you from the Lord Jesus Christ as a gift of grace. But more important, the second part of the twofold promise. He said, their names will not be wiped out of the book of life. But rather, Jesus said, I will acknowledge them before my Father in heaven. Beloved, listen to me. Listen to me. In the ancient days, each king had a registry book in his palace. And in that registry book, the name of every citizen is written. And only two things that would make that citizen's name be blotted out of that registry. The king will take the name out if a person commits a crime against the state or if the person dies. Those are the only two conditions that a citizen's name be removed out of the book of the registry of the king. Please listen carefully. In a far, far, far greater way, the Bible said that in heaven there is a book, that Jesus has a book. And in that book, written the names of all the faithful believers. And it is not written with pencil so they can be erased. No, they are written by the blood of the Lamb. And the reason they are written by the blood of the Lamb is so that no one can erase the name. No one can remove the name. No one can wipe out the name. And I want to tell you, I know that when that day comes, I'm going to stand up there and I know that he's going to call my name. And when I hear my name called, it is because Jesus who promised that he will acknowledge those who have acknowledged him before men, he will acknowledge them before the Father. 
not because of who I am, not because of who you are, but the names are going to be called simply because Jesus promised that anyone would come to me, anyone who would repent of their sins, that not only I'll forgive their sins, but I'll write their names in the book of life. That's the only reason why I am sure. That's the only reason why I'm certain, is the word of Jesus, and he does not lie. And I know on that day, he's going to call my name. Because I have acknowledged him before man. I know that Jesus is going to call my name. And when I hear my name, I'm going to say, Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. Lord Jesus, thank you for redeeming me. Lord Jesus, thank you for sustaining me. Lord Jesus, thank you for keeping me. Lord Jesus, thank you for acknowledging me before your Father, just as you promised you would. When the roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I'll be there. Will you be there? I want to tell you something. Today, if you're not sure you're going to be there, you can be. Not based on anything you can do. You can't do a thing about it. All your money can't buy it. All your effort can't get it. Only the promise of Jesus. He who comes to me, I will never reject. And that is the basis on which you can be sure and you can be sure today. And so as we go to pray in a minute, I'm going to ask you that if you're not sure, you make absolutely certain today, anchor your hope in the promise of Jesus. Anchor your faith on the word of Jesus. Shall we pray together? Our loving Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he gave us his word of exhortation, his word of challenge, but he also gave us his word of promise. Father, we thank you that we anchor our hope not on our efforts, not on who we are, not on our reputation, but we anchor our hope is in who Jesus is and who he called us to be, the children of the living God. And so, Lord, we stand up in response to your conviction. And we ask you, Holy Spirit of God, that you touch every heart that is crying out to you. Holy Spirit of God, I pray for a fresh move of the Holy Spirit that will sweep across the land, begin in this place, burn with fire the dross of sin. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would use us in a mighty way to love and care and express your love for the world and your desire to see that everyone would be saved. Oh, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.